Hi, I'm Marty. And I'm Lizzie. Welcome to the first storytelling mini-series of the Sex and Consent podcast. In this series, you'll hear real people share experiences that bring to life some of the themes and concepts that we discussed in our 101 series. So these could be experiences of sexual coercion, misogyny, rape culture, gender roles, or any interesting or even shitty experience around sex and consent. Basically, the stories you'll hear are examples of patriarchy in action. Each episode will begin with a guest telling their experience, and after that, Lizzie and I will unpack the experience in a way that helps us all make sense of what really happened. We'll run these storytelling mini-series on the podcast pretty often, so if you have an experience that you'd like to share, either as yourself or anonymously, please get in touch via Instagram, at sexandconsent, or one word. Cool, see you in there. Bye! Before we begin this episode, we'd like listeners to be aware that you're about to hear an experience of sexualized violence told by the person who experienced it, and then discussed and unpacked by Lizzie and me. We encourage everyone to take care of themselves while listening, including turning off or taking a short break if you need to. And if something comes up for you, we encourage reaching out to your support network afterwards, or you can always call 1-800-RESPECT. Also, this episode contains some pretty strong language. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of our Sex and Consent Storytelling Series. I am Dr. Marty Wilson. (laughs) And I am Lizzie Keane. Welcome. Welcome. Before we get into it, I just want to acknowledge the land that I am recording on today. So, as usual, I am on Bundjalung country, the land of the Widgeable Wyable people, where I live and work and grew up. And yeah, just paying my respects to the Bundjalung community and... Because today is the 22nd of May, meaning that yesterday being the 21st of May voting day, um, I just <laughs> wanted to kind of make a comment around oh, the, the relief that we feel um, around mm. the shift in power um, mm-hmm. that happened in the last 24 hours in this country. Um, And something that I noticed last night when I was watching the ABC voting kind of coverage when Scott Morrison conceded his his loss to Anthony Albanese and then they cut to like the Labour faithful party room and Penny Wong did a quick intro uh, of Anthony Albanese and one of the first things that she did was comment on their pledge to enshrine the Uluru Statement from the, heart, from the heart into, you know, our constitution. Mm. And then Anthony Albanese did the same thing and I felt so um, heartened, I suppose, because I'm so not used to hearing the, the party in power in this country speak about such things and, like, in such a kind of a way that at least sounds positive. Um, however, I was then on Twitter, like, all night <laughs> um, and I ended up learning or seeing um, an Aboriginal woman make a a tweet that said like neither Penny Wong or Anthony Albanese actually acknowledged like which land they were actually standing on they just said (laughs) broadly Aboriginal land and I was like oh my god I didn't even notice that I was so swept up in like oh my gosh they're doing all this stuff and then I was like yeah okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's a start and there's always room for improvement for sure um and I share the sentiment Maris um that I'm definitely feeling a sense of hope this morning and deep relief see Mm -hmm. you later scomo Mm -hmm. and um i guess yeah i'm also heartened and 
feeling somewhat optimistic about um, the Labor Party's commitment to the Uluru Statement of the Heart. Um, I would like to acknowledge um, the land that I'm recording on is Gumbangi land. This is the land that I grew up on um, and the country that Marty used to record and live on as well. Um, I want to offer my respect and deep acknowledgement to... Um, Gumbangi elders and Gumbangi people and the way that they've taken care of this land for thousands of years and um, I grew up here and haven't really lived here since I was sort of 18, 19 Um, but I'm back here for a couple of months and realising how very little I know about Gumbangi um, history and culture and I'm really looking forward to to learning about that. So... Maris, here we are, third episode um, of our storytelling series. Who are we hearing from today? So today we are hearing from Claire and this is actually her real name because it was important to her that she use her real name. She said that she feels like she's at a place in her life where she actually wants to own these experiences or like accept these experiences as a part of of her story. Of her her story. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so... So as you'll like, you know, hear throughout this episode, Claire is just such a brilliant, insightful, Mm. beautiful person that we were just so thankful and thrilled to have on the podcast. And yeah, just the way that she speaks and her bravery to tell these things as well. um, Yeah. These personal, you know, experiences. And yeah, we're just really, really honoured. She's an absolute legend and we're very lucky to have her as a friend as well. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to do this episode a little differently because Claire told her story a little differently. Um, It's really important to us on this podcast that when someone wants to share their story with us, that we invite them to share it how they want to share it. And so instead of one particular experience, Claire has, I suppose you would call it like a timeline of experiences that she has shared. And because of that, we're going to, to kind of break it down and unpack each different experience as it goes along absolutely so um like with all of our episodes maris and i sorry dr marty wilson and i are still going to (laughs) (laughs) um i'm obsessed um (laughs) we are going to unpack sections of the story we're breaking up the way that Claire tells her story um, for another reason. We want to put in another very strong content warning for this episode. Mm. Um, As you would have heard at the beginning of of the episode um, in the content warning, there are explicit mentions of sexual violence, rape, um, violence against women, Mm. rape culture as well. Um, so if you come to the end of a, a, a section in this episode and you feel like you want to ha- uh, take a break, go for it. Um, and also we encourage you to, um, to reach out to your support network or you can contact 1-800-RESPECT as well. Mm-hmm. So we will start off by hearing the first part of Claire's story and then we'll be back really soon with me and Lizzie unpacking it. Let's go. I didn't even feel like I had been raped until my girlfriends and I were having a conversation about another friend they had known who had also been raped. I'm not sure how it came up. It made me think I knew of a few times when I had had sex with a guy even when I really didn't want to. As though it was my duty, what a fucked up way to think. The first time I didn't realise it was technically rape was because women have been conditioned in society to think that it's our duty as a girlfriend to have sex when the boyfriend wants. That's not fair. 
It should always be a fuck yes or it's a flat out no. I think what made it harder to comprehend was that my younger naive brain thought that because we had already had sex earlier that day that it meant I was open for business the whole day. I was tired. We were spooning sideways on the couch watching some movie. He was behind me and started touching me, rubbing my thighs and over my knickers. I said I was too tired and didn't want to. I was sore from earlier. He kept trying. I gave absolutely no signs of encouragement and was as still as possible. He continued to keep moving forward anyway. I just lay there and copped it as I felt sort of that I had to. I remember thinking to myself that it was shit sex anyway and that my one way to strike back was to pull a horribly bored look on my face because I knew he couldn't see it. Like when you're a kid and you stick your fingers up at someone behind their back. A small fraction of victory like fuck you I'm not even enjoying it. I'd told my girlfriends at the lunch probably about a decade later and didn't realise how I felt until I said it out loud. It hadn't, I hadn't thought about it much, just pushed it to the back of my head. Then I started to cry in front of them as I realised what it meant. It was rape. I hadn't thought of it as that, as it wasn't someone I didn't know, like it wasn't a dirty old man when I was drunk or something horrible like that. But it was rape because I had said no. It was rape because I was ignored and my body was used as I had not given permission. It was rape because I felt like an idiot that I had let someone I had trusted take away my boundaries. The relationship with that guy didn't last long anyway. Although I feel bad as I wonder if the string of girlfriends that he continued had felt the same as me. Okay, so we've just heard the first part of um, Claire's story that she shared experience with her boyfriend Maris what did you take from that first up I love the way that Claire framed the telling of this experience in that she is talking about actually realizing it like 10 years later Mm -hmm. um how she's kind of like you know I was at a lunch with my friends and we're talking and then it's like I start to realize what this actually like someone else has had this experience and then she realizes that she's had this experience and it's actually many many years before yeah, I um I, I picked I picked that up as well, Maris. And it's kind of like, you know, I think we've mentioned in other episodes around like stereotypical behavior of somebody after a sexual violence experience. It's not only not going and telling the police or mm. someone, "Oh my gosh, I was raped." It's actually also not even necessarily acknowledging it or realizing it to yourself. Yeah. Because of how normalized sexual violence is, especially when it's not using physical force. Yeah. Um, there's this kind of like oh and then as she says it was my boyfriend like we'd had sex earlier that day there's these rape myths around why that would have been not rape yeah definitely there are there's like multiple rape myths going on um in in that anecdote and listeners might remember or you can go and listen to now um our rape culture episode in mm. our um consent and coercion 101 series mm-hmm. where um i quote kate harding the author um who uh defines one of the rape myths as rape is a is a deviant event as if it's mm. something that those uh, alleyway monsters mm-hmm. uh you know you they're, they're these faceless sort of rapists at large and we never know who these people are they're they're like true criminals and um Mm -hmm. yes sort of figures of our imagination or our nightmares but really what you can see in this story which is really common was that this guy was claire's boyfriend and Mm -hmm. she mentions um she mentions her her trust and boundaries in, in that story and 
you know that exactly that that connects um i, I get i think quite strongly to why people don't tell their stories for 10 years because totally when you have trust with somebody and and <laughs> And you love that person, um, you love your boyfriend and you'd think they would never do something like that to you, um, it really delays the realisation process. Absolutely. And you're like, yeah, you had sex earlier that day. And it's like, because oftentimes I think rape is connected to like, you would never want to have sex with that person. Like, you know, there's this, there's, as you say, like this deviant person that's like this scary monster. And the the reason that it's rape is because you wouldn't ever have sex with that person normally. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there's a lot of other parts to it, but that's a big part. I think, whereas like, actually, no, you can have wanted to have sex with someone earlier and then not feel like it later. Like, as she said, I think she says I was sore. Yeah. I didn't feel like having sex. We'd had sex on the beach earlier or whatever. And, and it's like, there's so many reasons to not want to have sex and they're all valid. Absolutely. And someone pushing past that boundary, um, regardless of whether, you know, usually you want to or not, it's, it's, um, it's rape. Like, you know, like if someone yeah. forces you to do something that you didn't want to do, even if you usually want to do it with that person. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Claire talks about that in, um, in her reflection. And I think she uses the term, because they'd had sex earlier that day, she felt that she was open for business, um, mm-hmm. obviously in, in really crude terms. But I, yeah, I think that makes total sense, the way that we're conditioned and, well, you know, the, sac- the sex has happened, so m- my consent has been given for all day, you know. Yep. And Claire actually reflected upon this experience a little more after she told the story when we were just having a chat so I wanted to cut back to that now and then it's like a light bulb moment kind of thing I remember thinking of the face like that was the thing in my brain I'd I would always be like like that little fuck you moment of victory like oh I'm not even enjoying it like I would sometimes Mm. think about that face like in other conversations at other times I'd be like oh I'm like someone would be thinking the girls would be like open chat about someone's horrible sex face or whatever it was and Mm. I would remember back to that moment like oh I've put a horrible sex face Mm. like when I really didn't enjoy that sex when I didn't want to have sex and then I was kind of like I'd sort of like be like oh this is awkward and then I'd kind of I guess retract away from it in my brain and didn't really delve further Mm. I think Mm So I was like, oh, that wasn't right. I shouldn't have been pulling a horrible face when having sex. Yeah. It should be, I should have been really enjoying that, but I wasn't. So that, I guess, was kind mm. of a, yeah. It's a real telling sign. Okay, so those insights that we just heard from Claire, like around um, the light bulb moment that she had with her friends and, and then the way that she had thought for years when people would talk about sex faces and stuff like that, she'd be triggered to remember, oh, I've pulled a, a, like what she called like a bad sex face Mm. or whatever. And it's like, I love the like comparison to like giving the finger to like almost like your parents. Someone's behind someone's back. Yeah, behind someone's back. And it's like this, but it's like this, you're kind of powerless in that situation. So you're giving this tiny little fuck you, even though you just got like in trouble or like from say like a parent or like with this instance, you've, he's taken her power away. And then she's a little bit like pulling the face, like, yeah, well, fuck you. I don't even want to anyway. And it's just such a small mm, act of defiance. Like, yes, and act of defiance, exactly. Totally. And it's the act of defiance that I think is really profound that, as she mentions, is what led her to be like, well, why was I pulling that face? That's exactly. wrong. Exactly. Yes. So after like suppressing it, like kind of backing away from the memory for years when she would think that and then eventually having this moment. So yeah, like I just, I just found that story really poignant because I think that often it's that type of 
it takes that it's a long time sometimes before you really come to terms with like hang on a fucking minute that's what that was absolutely and you know listeners if you ever hear um people say that about uh, I don't know an accusation of sexual violence or maybe a rape trial that's in the media and Mm -hmm. people saying like oh well you know if it affected them so badly why did they wait 10 years well Mm -hmm. this is why and there's so much obviously with other reasons as well but there is research that now that outlines that yeah there there is a significant delay in for some people for some people Mm -hmm. um, as they reckon with what has happened to them Absolutely. Um, And particularly when it's that more normalised, like, sexual violence that doesn't involve, like, an injury or some other crime accompanying it, like an abduction or something like that. Yeah. And so now we're going to move into Claire's next experience in her um, story timeline. And even though we've already given a couple of content warnings, we want to be really clear that this particular experience needs a big content warning because there's some explicit mention of non-consensual physical violence in a sexual experience. So, you know, whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. Thanks, Mads. Let's um, listen to that story now. The second time I blacked out of my head because I was blacked out of my head. I had been seeing a guy for a few months and it was hot and heavy, hard and fast. This guy had some issues. I was there for it. We had had sex plenty of times and we had shared some emotional pasts. He came home from, we came home from a bar and were drunk in his bedroom. We were having consensual sex and it was great. I was on all fours in doggy and really into it. He asked me as we were going for it if he could hurt me. I said yes, imagining a slight tug on the back of my throat from behind, maybe a thrust a little bit harder, even a little hair pull. What I didn't expect as I turned around was to see his fist coming to my face. I then blacked out. Who knows what happened to my body after that. The next morning, I woke up and went about the morning as per normal, not remembering at that point what had happened the night before. It wasn't until I went home and had a shower. I stood in front of the mirror to check if I had wiped all my makeup off properly. I thought I had to wash my face a second time as I had a black mark around my eye. Turns out it was a bruise from when he'd punched me the fuck out. I wigged out and broke it off with him. I think his past abandonment issues played in and he just zoned out and we never really spoke much again. I think that's why I never said anything to anyone then. I think I told one girlfriend because she might have noticed the black eye. But I had said yes to him at the time when he asked, so what was I meant to think? It wasn't until I was having these sorts of chats you have with someone when you're falling for them as you each start to open up. I still kind of laugh if I tell this story. I'm not sure why. I think it must be some response for trauma. Anyway, she pointed it out to me that there's no way of telling what happened to my body after that. It was a reality shock at the time. So I might have been raped more than once in my life. There was a possibility there could have been another. Being knocked the fuck out may not have been the worst thing to happen to me that night. Now another suppressed incident floating in the nether regions of my brain. I've dated some doozies by the seams, but some of these guys were God-loving Christians with good families. So, we hope that listeners um, are feeling safe and supported after listening to that. And as a reminder, if um, that story did bring anything up for you, um, please reach out to your support networks or um, you can find support at 1-800-RESPECT. Mards, what, what are we seeing in this story? So what is really big for me in this story is the way that this guy has, actually, I want to speak generally. I think it's becoming more common for like 
men who have no actual experience or like they haven't taken the care to consciously learn about how to safely practice like kinks or BDSM or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But they are like taking advantage of this. Like, let's say, okay, so like kink and BDSM, there's a little bit more awareness around like such um, practices and communities and whatnot. And I feel like this knowledge of certain acts, like, you know, whether it's choking or anal or yeah, using, you know, props or like aggressive behaviors or whatever in a consensual way it kind of trickles down into this like mainstream hetero patriarchal sex where men are co-opting like taking advantage of these behaviors as though this is my kink i'm into this i'm into kinky sex Mm. like this is what i just do yeah and they're not actually practicing any they're not structuring any of the safety around these acts that would actually need to be done if they were going to be practiced respectfully um, or consensually. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I think there's a, um, uh, yeah, just a distinct taking advantage of the blurred lines between what is like properly consensual BDSM mm-hmm. and then just them claiming, I think you said it just now, but them claiming that, oh, this is just something that I'm into. Yeah which it links it, it what i a big part that i took out of this um out of this story of claire's is what looks to be the impact of mainstream pornography mm. um in the 21st century and you know i think a lot of listeners know that there is this sort of um, there's mounting I guess, attention and investigation into the mainstream pornography industry Mm -hmm. um, and the way that it depicts um, violence against women as as quite a normal part of heteronormative Mm -hmm. sex. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to read something here from Collective Shout, which is an advocacy organisation who've done a bit of work around, um, yeah, addressing the violence against women and misogyny within mainstream porn. Mm -hmm. Um, They've written here, mainstream pornography is the graphic sexualized depiction of male dominance and female subordination. It eroticizes men's violence, aggression, cruelty, degradation and humiliation of women. It is hate speech, anti-women propaganda and sexual terrorism against women. Obviously they're really strong words but there's really no, no no other way to describe um, some of the shit that is on mainstream porn sites, which, mm-hmm. by the way, The Guardian has reported that porn sites globally receive more monthly impressions than Netflix, Amazon and Twitter combined. So a lot of people are watching porn and there's a shitload that contains sexual uh, rather violence against women Mm -hmm. um, in a sexual setting according to um, collective shout uh, collective shout (laughs) um, a 2010 content analysis of popular porn videos found that 88.2 percent of scenes contained physical aggression and that uh, against women and that perpetrators were usually male mm-hmm. and that the targets of the aggression were overwhelmingly female. Absolutely like wild statistics. And I, and I actually, there's another activist, I suppose, or educator, Marie Crabb, who has a movement that's called It's Time We Talk. And mm. uh, there's some stats on that page, one of which is that 35% of scenes in popular porn contain non-consensual behaviour. 
35%, mm. right? So that's basically that eroticizing of, <laughs> yeah, degrading women, but and also doing things to women without their consent, without their, like, them having, yeah, just like any say in the negotiation of what acts are going to come, like, next. You know, yeah. as Claire says in this, it's it's consensual sex otherwise. She's with this guy, they're having good sex generally. And then he says mm. to her, can I hurt you? But he doesn't specify how at all. And I actually want to cut to some of the conversation that Claire and I had after she told, like, you know, this story because we break down the issues with this. So let's let's hear that now. Well, like, and with with the guy when he's like, oh, can I hurt you? I was like, yeah. So I said, yeah. So, and then yeah. I got punched the fuck out. So, like, essentially, I guess I almost invited that or I, I allowed it. Well, I mean, and it's <laughs> interesting because, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, you, you know, hurt could be such a variety of things, which is like what you said, like, yeah. and it wins sex, like, to think hurt like you would think like I'd think like someone's gonna slap my ass or something yeah like something nice and playful yeah not like fucking punch (laughs) and the thing is right for him to do something like that um consensually it would require like serious discussion prior yeah about like is that something you're into what's your that's what like with you know BDSM communities and things like that they'll have safe words yeah yeah and they'll have pre um pre-organized limits of yeah. like these are the types of behaviors I consent to. These are the ones that I don't. Yeah, like a scale of roughness, not yeah. just like straight to number ten. <laughs> no, like let's dip our toes in first. Absolutely, no, totally. And so I think like he, yeah, you might have said yes, but but within the co- like within the context of what would be like a normal thing to to be, you know, experimenting with yeah. when you've not done that before, like kind of thing before, it wouldn't be going to something as violent as like punching you. That's yeah. like not what you were consenting to actually (laughs) (laughs) no no it was not (laughs) so we just heard a snippet of claire and my discussion from after she read her story and something i just wanted to add when we're talking about like the co-opting of kink and and the the non-consensual use of kink in bdsm is it kind of reminded me of you know uh instagram pages like tinder nightmares or something and then Mm. there's like tinder translator you know people that show men's tinder profiles or dating app profiles and how like the whack shit that that they write (laughs) on it anyway i do see a trend in them around um saying things like you know i'll treat you rough or like yeah i'm into kink or um you know swipe right for me if you want to be like pinned down and xyz like just this kind of like dominate i will do all this stuff to you and i'm just always so struck by how I'm like you have no fucking idea how to do this like safely or genuinely you are just relishing in the fact that you now have like you can like be like oh it's a kink that I want to be violent towards women no mate you just want to be violent towards women yeah and you're using it as an excuse you haven't learned or like engaged in like the kink or BDSM communities and the actual like genuine ethics surrounding doing that you're just like sick now i have a fucking label that i can use to excuse the fact that i want to be really yeah women (laughs) yeah and like hopefully it's clear by now that we are not talking about consensual non-consent or any other sort of um Mm. experiences within consensual bdsm this is just Mm -hmm. like dudes who want to be violent posing um Mm -hmm. and yeah definitely not doing any of the i guess consensual work or reflection um that 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 it requires which is like what claire and i just said in that thing of like he can't just do that without 
having a conversation beforehand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, shout out to Claire for sharing that story because it's a heavy one. And that guy has done, yeah, has done something totally wrong. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's assault. That wasn't kinky. Yeah. So Maris, let's move on to uh, the third part of Claire's story, which is an excellent example of everyday coercion in action. Yes, let's hear it now. Another time, I've been back at an after party and stayed with a bunch of people till the early hours. When it was time for everyone to hit the hay, I was kindly offered a shared bed with a male friend of whom I accepted. Once there, he continued to ask me to give him a blowjob over and over. I kindly refused and said I wasn't interested. I think this went on for at least an hour until he told me I was selfish and rolled over in a foul mood. I laid awake and waited till a fraction of sun rose and slipped out the door to get a taxi in the light. Okay, Maris. So I feel that you um, are quite familiar with this kind of story given um, the research that you did in your um, PhD thesis. There is a lot of everyday coercion going on in here. Um, Mm -hmm. What did you notice? Well, I mean, this story, for me, it's just a very classic, classic example of everyday coercion in that she's in a situation that has literally nothing to do with hooking up with this guy, Mm -hmm. but they're they're logistically placed in a situation where they're sleeping in the same bed and he is opportunistic and takes the bloody, you know, yeah, moment to just try and coerce her. coerce her to do something sexually that she was had no like it's just like oh that was really inarticulate but basically i just think this is a really good example of that that garden variety coercion he's just doing exactly what so many of us have experienced countless times that coercion that makes you cringe feel so uncomfortable or even annoyed at yourself for thinking like this guy's my mate he won't sexually harass me just because we're sleeping next to each other and then he does and it's so disappointing but also can go unnoticed in that context of like well what did you expect sleeping in the same bed with him like boys will be boys that catch cry of like that just completely like erases or normalizes sexual violence in fact claire talked a little bit about how like how these type of experiences are just so common so let's um hear that as well yeah like it just feels so common like like for me to have had and like obviously from what we were speaking about before I haven't even told you all of the things that Mm. I've come across um it just makes you think like if I've suffered so much uh from men in this regard like almost every other woman would be feeling the same from different incidences as well Mm -hmm. absolutely so I'm sure listeners can relate to what Claire's just reflected in that excerpt from our conversation Uh, So, yeah, that was the main point that I took from this. And the next thing that I thought um, in this in this example of everyday coercion, I can see quite a few tactics that I identified in my PhD. One of them being the element of surprise, which is that no, no inkling prior that that there was this type of relationship between them. Like she she said it was just a friend. They were just sleeping in the same bed because they'd been at kick ons. Like it's kind of like, you know, imagine you and me, Liz, after a night of kick ons. And I'm like, yeah, you can sleep in my bed. And then you get in there and I just start like feeling like go down on me. Like what the fuck? And it's like, you know, like you've just got no romantic relationship prior. And then because like, you know, so like essentially for Claire, this guy's just her friend. Like there's no, 
intimacy or sexual relationship between them in that way. So it's that, it's that full surprise of like, wait, what? And for me, it's like he is because it's a woman like he wouldn't I mean unless he's bi he's not going to do that to like a guy he's sleeping if that was his guy mate and he's Mm -hmm. heterosexual he's not going to pester like that but because it's a woman that like we can we can imagine is his um sexual orientation she was treated differently you know like like she would get you know what did you expect if you sleep over with him a male friend but a man would not get the same what do you expect if you slept over at his male friend's house so it's this assumption that regardless of the friendship women are are not able to trust a male friend because he'll essentially prioritize viewing her as a sexual object rather than as his friend it just doesn't make sense and then there's like also just such an assumption that like because she's physically there he has the right to do that there's just so many assumptions a real assumption of straightness like yeah heteronormativity um, yes. in action yeah absolutely and so yeah so the element of surprise and then the um repetition like she says it goes on for like an hour yeah um and then the the verbal coercion and the fact that it's like got the guilt trip like element or like the annoy he's like annoyed at her yeah. about like that she won't so yeah. that's kind of so commonly how like a quote-unquote everyday version of coercion goes that's what really struck me for that story yeah definitely me too i think um especially that um, emotional punishment at the Mm -hmm. end and rolling over as if she'd done something wrong um it also reeks of (laughs) that victim blaming vibe Mm -hmm. whereby he calls her selfish Mm -hmm. am i right Mm. and that that um, is inspired by his his thinking that they're being in a bed together mm-hmm. is a communication of her consent in a way, oh, right? Totally. And for her not to perform fellatio on him is is um, not holding up her end of the bargain. Totally. And that she's led him on by mm-hmm. being in the same bed. Um, it's all wrong. It's wrong, but it's yeah as maris you said it's a really common way that um everyday coercion plays out it's just so gendered like it's just yeah that's what that that whole situation is it's just kind of like oh my god because she's a woman even though it's just your friends you're just like i could get this out of you and i kind of deserve to yeah and you know what i'm just gonna i little bit of role play here like (laughs) imagine me hopping into bed with one of our cis male mates Mm. and then saying for an hour lick me out (gasps) lick me out like just go down on me like maybe he didn't and he's going no no thanks no no i I, I don't want to i'm i'm not interested i'm tired i want to go to friends and me saying well come on like it'll be fun like just go down on me eat me out come on and then after an hour me being like you're so selfish and rolling on <laughs> Like, it's absurd and it's creepy. It's, it's gross. coercive. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. And it, it just, like, we've just said this, said it before and we'll say it again. It's, like, such a lack of fucking shame. Like, get some more shame yeah. about you. Like, genius. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> I, I just feel like... Go pick it up somewhere. Yeah, you need more shame. Like, this is, like, highly embarrassing behaviour. Mm-hmm. To do and something so so creepy and disgusting, like 
to just harass someone to touch your penis put my penis in your mouth for like a fucking hour like whoa dude that is embarrassing for you i am embarrassed for you you should do you need to reflect on yourself yeah and i think it just speaks volumes to the impact and uh negative power of normalization right Mm -hmm. the normalization and naturalization of sexual coercion in heterosex which maris you talk about so um articulately in your phd research (laughs) less articulately Um, in the podcast (laughs) (laughs) no you do um all right so you're gonna now hear the fourth and final section of claire's story where she's going to mention a couple of things that she's experienced over her life but finishing Mm -hmm. off with a very frustrating and um and very interesting sort of phenomenon or or rather an interaction that she had with a guy in a pub um which we'll Mm -hmm. unpack after so let's listen to the last part now (sighs) this isn't even going into all the dick pics unsolicited advances continuous no thank yous and polite refusals comments on my body wolf whistles you name it to the point where I've been asked to prove my sexuality to a male for him to believe that I was indeed going home with a female that night and not at all interested in him. It is tiring. I thought I would get a break when having a baby, but no. I've even been leered at and had a horn honked at me while walking the baby in a pram with my dog. Not that it should matter, but I don't even wear cute tight active wear. I wear daggy old shorts and t-shirts. So... That was the fourth and final part of Claire's story and um, such a powerful ending to um, what she's shared with the podcast. I really love how she lists a few different experiences she's had over her life. And I think it's really important because most women and certainly you and, and, and me, Maris, mm. we, we go through life um, not with the memory of one Mm. incident of sexual harassment or everyday coercion. It's actually a a lifelong experience of patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I just think it's really profound the way that she ended that. Mm. We're going to focus in particular on um, that, that sort of incident at the end that her having to prove her bisexuality Mm. to some dude in a pub. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Mm let's so like a massive part of that experience is that heteronormative male entitlement and assumption Mm. about sexuality um and and a and a devaluing actually of same-sex attracted women (laughs) um and claire and i chatted about this um so let's hear that a snippet of that conversation now Oh, like, because I guess men, not that this is okay, but I, I do know that men um, see uh, some friends hanging out and they assume, they'll obviously want to go try and, you know, have a conversation with them, um, take one home, attempt to take one home or whatever. And I know that um, sometimes straight girls will use their um, best friend as an alibi, like, oh, no, I'm, this is my girlfriend, I'm not interested, mm. as a way to politely... I guess, have an excuse for a no because quite often our no's aren't taken as serious Mm -hmm. and they get pushed past anyway. So for me to be in the situation where, no, I actually was going home with a girl and no, I'm really not interested in you, it wasn't enough for me to just say no to him. Like he he refused to believe that that his, I guess, present wasn't enough for me to want to go home with him, Mm -hmm. that like how could I be interested in a, in another female when here I had this prime male in front of me? Like, <laughs> I 
it's just a bit of a joke, you know. Like, I'm just, we're not here to fucking lay down at your feet, mate. Like, to be honest, I, was, I didn't want a bar of it, but. And it's like, how's the um, how's the like sense of of entitlement yeah. or even like, like there's like, no bloody shame there, is there? Like, if if nah. I like approach someone and they're like, oh, I'm, they said they'll go home with someone else, I'm like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> like you'd be a little bit embarrassed. Like, yes. oh, like if I went out to a, like, say I was um, planning to um, act on my heterosexuality for that night and I went up to a male and was like, hey, yeah, like I'm taking mm. you home. Mm. How presumptuous am I to think that that guy's not seeing someone else and that he's available for me to take home? Mm-hmm. Imagine if he was like, oh, no, I have a girlfriend. I would be like, okay, retract, cool, I get it. But in this instance, if I was this, like the roles are reversed, I would continue pressing me like, well, where's your girlfriend? Show me your girlfriend. I want to see materialize her now. Otherwise, you're going home with me. Like, how disrespectful. Totally. And exactly. It's like, prove it to me. I'm like, I owe you nothing. Exactly. I. <laughs> I owe you nothing, bro. Like, I've met you for, what, 10 minutes now? Not even that. And then the whole time is me being trying to get you to politely fuck off. (laughs) Continuing to get up in my business to the point where I have to prove that I'm actually here with someone else and it's not enough for you to believe. If I was there with a male, I imagine that conversation would have stopped pretty short. But because I was with a female, that wasn't enough for him to believe. Mm. Yeah, that he wasn't going to... And it wasn't even that he didn't want a threesome. He wasn't pushing that. He just couldn't believe that I was going home with a woman and not a male. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, like, so much, you know, with, of that, like, I don't owe you anything. It's, like, it just speaks as well to the ownership that men presume they have yeah. over women as well, like, that in that space. And because you were both women mm. and you were going home together, there was a bit of a, like, um, like he had felt the right to interfere in that. Yeah. Whereas if it were a man, it'd be like, oh, sorry, mate. Yeah. Didn't want, don't want to cut your grass. Sorry, bro. That's your oh. trick. I didn't know. Because that guy owns you. <laughs> yes, I know, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Two, two, two women together. No one owns them. Who <laughs> let them out? They shouldn't be allowed on the street. <laughs> Make sure your skirts are to your ankles. Oh, that's so <laughs> true. It's like these two women, they've got no owner. I could oh. claim them both. What the fuck? Oh, God. Yeah. That's terrible and draining. I know, right? Draining is the word. Okay, so we've just heard mine and Claire's chat. And as you as you heard, um, we kind of broke it down to the point of realising that, like, that, that ownership piece in this. So if that was a – if Claire was at the pub hooking up with another guy, like – like imagine the absurdity kind of like Liz's role reversal before with the with the coercion but like imagine the absurdity if he was to come up um and be like oh you know do you want to go home with me and she's like oh that's my boyfriend over there um he'd be like oh sorry bro sorry yeah and then instead she's like no I'm actually going home with this woman or like I'm with here with her whatever and he's like prove it or like and it's Mm. again it's also that like women like men male gaze like the lens of well even if you are same-sex attracted like if even if you are two women together like it's still kind of like for my sexual consumption totally I actually yes it's like he he's like I need to be an eyewitness of Mm -hmm. this chick on chick action in a way Mm -hmm. and if you are you know if you're refusing to go home with me Mm -hmm. well I better see the reason Mm -hmm. because I guess if it wasn't for the woman, you would come home with me. So I want to see. Uh, like, mm. I, I don't know. It's just perverse. We should be able to just say no 
without even having a reason like like it's not like Claire was like yeah and if I hadn't been there with her I would have actually wanted to go home with him (laughs) no I don't actually want to go home with you period yeah but it's like and that's where I think it's also really interesting what she says about how like straight women might use because we're so used to having to have like an alibi almost Mm -hmm. like um so straight women will use say another straight friend and be like oh no we're together because then you've got this excuse as to why you're not interested in him because men often won't just take no as an answer take no as an answer so you've got to have like some sort of um excuse or alibi just to get them to stop hassling you like just get off my fucking back Mm. and and so she claire kind of notes that she's like i know that's something that straight women do but then for her as a bisexual woman that is legitimately going home with another woman there's like this expectation that either she's lying um or that if she's not lying well you better prove it because like surely i should be able to benefit off your hookup like kind of thing like oh like same way if you pass a dude out at a club like no one really will blink an eye but if you are two chicks kissing Mm. out oh my god oh my gosh like you know yeah yeah like i have i have hooked up with women in like out before and had so much attention that i end up feeling embarrassed because i don't i don't want them to think i am doing it for them and it's like so commonly considered as performative because it's like just this like devaluing that women would actually potentially be attracted to each other and want to hook up that like i have been hooking up with like people women before out and then be like oh my gosh i cannot keep kissing her here because it just looks like i'm trying to do it to get guys attention which is not at all what i'm doing it's Mm. actually i do not want their attention it's disgusting yeah it's like you know before i think i said like the assumption of her straightness as well like it's really Mm. uh, yeah an assumption of heteronormativity like Mm. Are you, like are you really by are you really mm-hmm. going home with a woman like you couldn't possibly mm. um because the normal thing here is to go home with a person with different genitals to you you know as she says a prime male <laughs> a prime male i love that she says that like how could you possibly go home with a woman when you've got me yeah it's just... prime male specimen oh my gosh oh my god um well, that wraps us up for this episode, Maris. Um, huge shout out again to Claire for sharing her story um, and for being, um, yeah, just such a fierce feminist and awesome, beautiful woman. And <laughs> her, I would say her son is very lucky to have her as a mother. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it when fierce feminist women are raising boys yeah it's very special <laughs> like, um, be, yeah they, they will hopefully be, be, the, be the change we need <laughs> yeah a hundred percent and so that brings us to the end of our um the third episode of our storytelling series on the sex and consent podcast we hope you've learned something we hope you've enjoyed claire's story and again massive shout out to claire um for being such a fierce and beautiful and articulate feminist and um, Mm -hmm. stoked for her son, um, (laughs) coolest mum ever. And I think we as a community are very lucky when um, women like Claire are raising boys. Absolutely. A a woman. (laughs) A woman. 
So we would love if you could um, subscribe to the Sex and Consent podcast and follow us at Sex and Consent, all one word, on Instagram. And we will see you in the next episode. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for being here with us for the storytelling series, our first one. Woohoo! Love you guys. Woohoo! Bye. Bye.